I've got a quick question for you before we get started today. Were there any outstanding presentations at the last Master Brewers District meeting you attended? I bet there were. Well, we'd like to share those stories with listeners, but we need your help. Unless they attended that same district meeting, Master Brewers members, including me, will never know about these outstanding presentations unless they get uploaded to the Master Brewers District Presentations Archive. So next time you sit in on a really great presentation, ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. You can find me at community.mbaa.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This Master Brewers podcast is proudly sponsored by Hopsteiner, a global leader in the hop industry focused on quality, sustainability, and innovation in new hop varieties and hop products. Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Ever since we started doing this work, we've been receiving, you know, boxes full of flakes of yeast uh, every few months and accumulating this massive collection. And if we don't start getting these things out into the world, we're just going to be, you know, sitting on this forever. This week on the show, our guest from the Kvike episode, number 102, joins us from the live event in Calgary, along with his colleague who authored a conference poster on the topic of Kvike yeast inoculation rates. Hi, my name is Richard Priest. I'm with Escarpment Laboratories in Canada. Hi, my name is Isneto, and I'm also with Escarpment Laboratories in Canada. Richard, in episode 102, uh, in, in which you told us all about Kvike yeast, uh, that's been a very popular episode um, with listeners. I'm guessing you've been fielding a lot more questions about these yeast strains over the last year. Yeah, we have. They've sort of started to blow up quite a lot um, in the craft beer scene. There's still plenty more for all of us to learn about Kvike. Um, tell us what you've been studying lately. Pretty much everything. So... Uh, we, we did a lot of pilot studies, getting, getting the Kvike yeast from Norway and understanding what they are. So we, we had this paper that came out that had information about the genetics of Kvike and um, some of the cool fermentation properties like hot fermentations, um, really high temperature and a- alcohol tolerance. So that was really cool, but it didn't really tell brewers, you know, how do I actually use this stuff? So that's what we've been focused on for the last year, um, has been understanding you know, taking this yeast that is, you know, in a traditional context, in a traditional beer in Norway, and understanding how, how can we best apply it in 
uh, commercial and home brewing um, over in North America. So because of some of the interesting quirks of it, like uh, brewers in Norway pitching with you know, really low pitch rates, really high temperatures, uh, open fermentations, how does that compare to, to what we you know, typically do here uh, in terms of pitch rates, uh, in terms of temperatures, right? What happens if you uh, ferment a kvike at 20 Celsius, 15 Celsius, right? Um, does it ferment like normal yeast? Does it sort of crap out? Um, we didn't really have that sort of knowledge base, so that's what we've been working on building for the last year. And, and now we're looking at, you know, how low of an inoculation rate you can use uh, with this yeast. Uh, Norwegian kvike yeast can be inoculated as low as a million cells per milliliter without major side effects. How is that possible? Uh, so the reason that that's possible is uh, because these do have a really fast grow, growth rate. Uh, the uh, kvike yeast do grow faster than typical yeasts. So even with us, when we're uh, propagating them in our propagators, we often see that um, gravity drop and uh, biomass formation happen quite a lot faster, you know, um, 30, 40% faster. So that's a big part of it is that because you've got a yeast that can uh, just get into wort, start growing a lot faster than average yeast, it also means that they're, they're able to make a lot of cells and start fermenting that wort a little bit earlier than the, the average yeast would. Um, I've always wondered about, you know, when you, because you're um, knocking out some of these uh, like beers, you know, at very high temperatures, you're not going to get much dissolved oxygen into the wort, yet they're growing really fast, they're making new cell membranes really fast. What's, how does that work? Yeah, um, they definitely do require some degree of DO, but, you know, you've raised a good point um, that uh, with that high temperature, you might not get as much dissolved oxygen. So if you look at the traditional context of what people are doing, it's yeah, they're pitching warm, but they're also open fermenting, so that may give the yeast some access to oxygen that it may require. Um, so that might maybe an explanation for you know how those yeasts have sort of adapted to those hotter temperatures. Uh, we don't tend to see them requiring an excessive amount of oxygen like we might have with uh, lager yeast or with some of the more finicky uh, IPA yeasts. Okay, talk about how you um, set up this experiment to look at these uh, the performance with the low inoculation rates. Uh, yeah, so I guess this is where I come in because this was part of a, a larger project that we were, we were looking at attenuation curves for uh, most of our strains. Uh, so we included these different uh, pitch rates uh, in, in that study. So what we did was a really uh, bench scale uh, test that uh, replicated as much as possible our uh, production method. And then we inoculated really small, what we call test ferments, uh, 50 mil test ferments, uh, and we checked gravity um, daily for the first few days and then uh, at certain set time points. And then at the, at the, the end of the fermentation, we checked uh, other parameters like uh, pH, uh, final gravity, IBUs, uh, fan consumption, and, uh, and we also sent some, some samples out for GC and HPLC analysis. Now these fermentations were all done at 20C, which is unusual because this yeast, you know, typically ferments a lot warmer than that. Talk about that. Uh, well, the, the reason why we fermented them at 20C was uh, for it to be par part of that larger study and for comparabil comparability purposes. So we fermented all our ale strains at 20 degrees and we really wanted to see 
how the fermentation compared at, uh, it, between across all the strains. So that's why we wanted to maintain the temperature constant. Okay, that makes sense. All, all of your low pitch rate uh, fermentations were slower, which is no surprise. Uh, but there was one surprise. Mention that. Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things that we found in, in this uh, small study was we, we did include one of our ale yeasts as a control. Uh, Vermont ale, a uh, very common strain used for uh, making, making IPAs, especially hazy IPAs. Um, we did pitch that one at the, the range of pitch rates, so that was uh, anywhere from 1 million cells per mil, one-tenth of what a typical brewer would pitch, up to 10 million cells per mil, so sort of the standard pitch rate. Uh, the kind of surprising thing here was that that strain still fermented at a pretty good rate at that very low pitch rate. So we, we expected it to take longer. Um, that was kind of surprising that the um, normal, you know, non-Kabike ale strain also fermented pretty well. Um, that might speak to the fact that the, you know, the yeast was sort of grown in ideal circumstances, right? It never left the lab. Um, if you were to do this experiment, maybe with some some pouches of yeast uh, out in a homebrew store for a month, you might see a little bit more of a dramatic difference, um, and that uh, speaks to the fact that the quike yeast tend to be a little bit more stress tolerant. But in this experiment, the, the Vermont did pretty well as well. Uh, you also tracked fan consumption and pH. Uh, what did you observe there? Yeah, so these have been, um, and we're sort of hinting at some of the things that we're working on with helping brewers to dial in using quike. Um, in terms of the fan consumption, one thing that we wanted to highlight here is that it is across the board quite high. Um, these yeasts uh, have a high nitrogen requirement, um, and often when we're troubleshooting issues with quike uh, fermentation, we can often trace it back to a wort that has insufficient fan. Um, so because they have that high requirement, um, if they don't get enough fan, they might uh, stall out or they might produce a lot of volatile sulfur, H2S, that sort of eggy, farty smell. Um, so that's a really important thing to track there. We didn't see enormous differences between fan consumption um, tracking with those pitch rates. Um, so that sort of tells us that regardless of the amount of cells that we're adding, they're kind of using a similar um, amount of nutrients. Um, with regard to final pH, this is another one where uh, brewers are starting to pay attention to this and notice this. Um, Kvike ferments do tend to finish at a lower pH than um, typical ale yeasts do. If you look especially at the uh, English ale yeasts, um, they tend to finish with a fairly high um, post-ferment pH, uh, 4.5, 4.6. Uh, whereas if you look at the Kvikes, they're actually on the lower end of that spectrum. They do uh, have, a, have a final pH uh, quite a bit lower, often you know, 4.2, 4.3. Um, so that is, that is a difference sort of between those yeast families, and uh, we'll be sharing more of that information as well. Um, and then also in terms of just that um, pH as a response to the pitch rate, there weren't any clear trends with the Kvikes, although we did see that when that uh, Vermont Ale strain was underpitched, it did have a higher uh, finishing pH, and so that might be an indication of the yeast being stressed because um, poor, poor delta pH is often an indication of yeast stress. have seen a lot of adoption in, in uh, specifically in hoppy beer styles. Uh, some of the yeasts are capable of biotransformation. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
Support for this podcast is brought to you by... ABS Commercial is a full-service brewery and parts outfitter. From our Raleigh headquarters to our Denver office, we proudly offer brew houses and fermenters from three barrels and up, yeast brinks, boilers, kegs, chillers, tri-clamp, and other stainless parts, all with the quickest delivery and lead times in the industry. Learn more at abs-commercial.com or call 877-BREW-ABS. ABS Commercial. We are brewers. Additional support provided by... Samba Hops is first in the new exclusive BSG Hop Solutions portfolio. Named for the overwhelming tropical dance explosion of its aroma, Samba's profile is dominated by juicy tropical fruit like pineapple and mango, plus tangerine and stone fruit. Samba is ideal for late and dry hopping juicy hazy IPAs or beers that need a big tropical fruit profile. Learn more about BSG Hop Solutions online and look for more BSG Hop Solutions releases coming soon. Here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. District Michigan is holding a HACCP course at Bell's Brewery January 6th and 7th. District St. Louis meets January 16th. District Pittsburgh meets January 18th. District New England meets in Merrimack January 24th and 5th. The Ontario Technical Conference is January 29th through the 31st in Kingston. District St. Louis meets February 20th. District Northern California holds its Technical Conference February 27th and 28th in Sonoma County. One of our newest districts, District Great Plains, meets February 28th and 29th in Kansas City. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. back to the show. You found that inoculation rate does not consistently impact ester production, but does impact overall flavor profile. Tell us how you got there. So that was something that was interesting. So because we were able to send those samples off to our collaborators at the University of Guelph for uh, GC, um, analysis, we were able to pick out a bunch of the aroma compounds, especially the esters, and look at how those respond um, according to the pitch rate. And there wasn't really, when we go and we look at each individual flavor metabolite, there weren't any really obvious trends, right? We see, okay, maybe for this isoamyl acetate, we see lower amounts when uh, there's a higher pitch rate. Uh, That kind of makes sense. That's a a known thing with yeast. Um, But there wasn't really any clear trend with a lot of these. Um, so, you know, what do we do when there's no clear trend in a large data set? We try to um, model it. We try to simplify it. So in this case, we use PCA um, on all of those different variables to try to map out what does the overall uh, flavor profile look like uh, and then what uh, individual flavor compounds sort of contribute to that um, differentiation. And so what we found is that... Um, if you take you know, all of those flavor metabolites uh, in aggregate, you can sort of see that um, for some of those spike strains, as the pitch rate decreases, the overall uh, aroma compound intensity increases. Um, but for some of the other ones, there was, there was no trend. Um, so that speaks to the fact that even, even within one single yeast family like Kvike, um, there's still you know, strain-specific, product-specific uh, trends that we need to understand. But higher pitch rates do seem to reduce certain esters, though, right? <laughs> do you think that these uh, results would, would be any different at 30 or 40 C? 
I think if we were to do the experiment of 30 or 40C, we would probably see more ester production from the Kvikes. Um, so right now, you know, if you look at the esters, it's actually quite similar to um, that Vermont ale. Um, and the reason for that is that because we're fermenting at 20C, there's often not much of a difference. We've, we've found that if we do ferment with Kvike at those typical uh, production te temperatures, they do produce what I would call a typical flavor profile, um, which is cool. That means that you can use them to make, you know, what I would say is, you know, normal or typical tasting beers. But when you push the temperature, when the temperature is pushed up, like, like you said, 30, 40 C, you often see uh, more production of some of those esters. And so you might see more uh, differentiation uh, between the strains or more uh, aroma intensity. You would certainly see uh, much faster ferments at those temperatures as well. You'd probably start to see the control ale strains start to... Uh, waver or fail as well, especially as you get up to 40C where uh, a lot of ale strains will not uh, grow very well. So I had, um, you've inspired me to try a few of these strains which I've done over the last, uh, well whenever, since, since we talked last, but um, I've um, had some interesting experiences. So I used the Voss strain, uh, the first fermentation that I did and, and made, made a great beer. Um, then I used the Hornendahl strain later on um, and um, it is, it's interesting because I basically brewed the same batch of a, an IPA and then split it and I pitched a normal, you know, hazy IPA yeast in half of the in one fermenter and then pitched the Hornendahl strain in the, others, in the other one. And um, it went in, it looks like it went in, I have it pulled up here, it looks like it went in about 90, um, uh, let's see, so it was about, about 34C uh, when it, uh, a couple hours after it was in the fermenter. Um, and it fermented very rapidly um, in that first, um, really, first 18 hours. You can see the, um, the gravity already dropped from 14.7 to 10.7. Um, and the, the temperature still dropped a little bit because it's in a, the brewery actually has air conditioning. So it's in an air conditioned space, you know, that's at about 20C just surrounding there. So, um, but then uh, the next day, uh, it had dropped down to 27.8C. Um, and really only shed another, you know, not even a full degree Play-Doh. So, like, that drop in temperature really slowed down the fermentation. And I was kind of nervous about it because I was like, oh, is this going to peter out? You know, what do I do, what do, I do? So I actually I ended up setting up a um, uh, hot – I ended up setting up a loop on my wort. I, I cleaned and sanitized my wort heat exchanger, and then I basically recirculated the whole tank through that and, and gradually heated it back up to 40C. Um, and then it took off like gangbusters and, you know, went from, um, you can see at 44 hours, uh, once I got it up to 40 degrees C, um, basically a day later it had, for, it had gotten all the way down to like 4.6 Play-Doh. So it really took off. So but I'm just curious about your, um, you know, you're saying that you, you fermented a lot of these with, with your trials, running them all at 20 C and obviously it took longer, but you know, had I not done that, what do you think the results would have been? You think it still would have finished out normally? Um, had I not heated that, that batch back up, um, it just would have taken longer or do you think I would have gotten very drastically different results? It's always hard to, uh, yeah, turn, turn, uh, the real world data into into insight, but this is an interesting one. One, what, one thing we have uh, heard of, you know, a few times anecdotally is of uh, Kvike sort of stalling out or fermenting a lot slower if it's subject to a temperature drop, right? Um, so it seems to, for these yeasts, they seem to really prefer having a consistent temperature, and that if they are subject to a, an extreme temperature drop, um, that can really slow them out down. 
Um, part of that is that these are fairly flocculent strains, so they are fairly easy to, in most cases, fairly easy to, um, you know, flock out when they're subject to colder temperatures. And so, say, if you're going here from 34 to, uh, you know, um, 27C, that might be enough to sort of induce them to start to slow down. Um, what we found is that, uh, you know, regardless of temperature, if the temperature is consistent, that we can uh, observe pretty reliable fermentation. So, you know, anywhere from, for some of these strains, anywhere from 15 Celsius up to 40 Celsius, we can see reliable fermentations and, you know, have beers finish fermentation within, within one week. Um, so for them, it, it, it seems to be that uh, temperature stability uh, matters a lot. And in terms of temperature too, uh, we did all these, uh, these test ferments in the context of checking all of our other strains and uh, we know that Kvike uh, ferments a lot faster, but in, at that temperature, the attenuation curves were, were pretty similar, uh, not that different from all the, the other ale strains, so maintaining a constant temperature, the, the attenuation would be pr pretty similar. I think there was only one of the Kvike strains uh, was a little bit slower than the others at 20. I think that was the, the RSUT, I believe. That was um, a little bit slower than the others. But uh, other than that, the Kvikes were equivalent to an ale fermentation at 20 degrees. Cool. I'm going to keep splitting these and just see what kind of feedback we get from you know consumers. But so far, generally speaking, so far people tend to prefer the Kvikes beer you know, versus the, the, the hazy IPA yeast. So we'll see. Yeah, and that's an important thing. I think uh, these yeasts have seen a lot of adoption in, in uh, specifically in hoppy beer styles. Uh, some of the yeasts are capable of biotransformation, and we've got a little little hint at that in our poster as well. Um, two of those spikes were uh, producing beta citronellol, uh, which is a product of you know a hop monoterpene bioconversion. Um, they produce them at a similar level to the Vermont ale strain, so that's a that's a strain that's kind of. Um, treasured for some of those biotransformation properties, and we see uh, some of those same properties in some of the, the kvikes as well, which tells us that those might also be uh, useful for getting uh, efficient uh, aroma transformation from the hops. Cool. What other questions are you getting about kvikes these days, and what do you want to study next? Everything. <laughs> Well, uh, there's a, uh, we have a lacto-sensory, a, a sensory component for a lacto project coming up. Uh, I've been talking about lacto all day, so this ties into uh, what I've been doing. And uh, we found that we're, we're going to use a Kvike strain uh, to produce our samples for the lacto-sensory. Uh, one thing that is uh, really interesting is that the, uh, our Kvike strains were tolerant to acetic acid that can potentially be produced by lactobacillus, so that's of interest to us. And another thing that ties into the pitch rate as well is that there's a, that potential for, uh, for co-pitching, uh, right, and if we can uh, under-pitch uh, kvike and pitch it at the same time as lacto for a co-pitch, there's a lot of potential there for, um, for a smooth co-pitch fermentation. <laughs> That was Richard Priest and Is Neto here on the Master Brewers podcast. All Master Brewers members can now get their very own free copy of Is's poster, along with all the other outstanding posters and presentations from Calgary. Download your copy of the conference proceedings at mbaa.com or check the show notes for a link. 
Master Brewers members don't just get free access to the annual conference proceedings, we also get access to the hundreds of presentations that take place at all of the individual district meetings. But there's only one way to be sure that invaluable searchable archive reaches its full potential. I know you want to see that happen as much as I do, so let's talk about how you can help. Ask your district officers if you can help them get the presentations uploaded. It's super easy. There's even a short how-to video link at the top of the archive. And if there's a presentation that you think we should highlight here on the show, shoot me a quick message. All the links you need are in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, and BSG. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.